You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the show. We have a full show today. We'll be talking about sexually transmitted diseases, the different types, the impact on the body. We'll be talking about some strong absence education and some stories to really throw into your mind as you're talking about abstinence, sex, contraception, whatever it might be with friends, children, family members. My guest today, I am so excited to have. I've really had the great opportunity to work with her the last couple of summers, and I remember remember when I was just a babe, the incredible abstinent talks that abstinence talks that she too was given, giving at the time. She's a founder of Enlightened Communications. She talks to over 500,000 young people each year, both here in the United States and worldwide. And her videos are widely watched online talking about sexual integrity. She's also worked for a number of years in the crisis pregnancy centers, helping women to choose life and really alter their lifestyle so that they can be free of this just a rampant sexuality that is so predominant and really breaking many homes and women's lives. So without further ado, thanks for being here, Pam Stenzel. So good to be with you, Timory. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. I want to dive into some really great stats here. Um, The good news is, and we're going to get to this a little later on, that we're seeing an increase in high school students being virgins. Yeah, the, the increase in, in, we talked about them in terms of 15 to 17 year olds. Among 15 to 17 year olds, 69% of boys and 72% of girls have never had sexual intercourse. And when we break that down a little bit closer, 15 to 17 year olds again, 52.4% of boys and 60.3% of girls have never had any sexual contact with the opposite sex. That includes the broader definition of sex clearly asked to them. So, so what that means is that the majority of 15 to 17-year-old high school students in this country are now not sexually active. And, and the, the media would like to, you to think something very different. But, but that's the reality. And, and these stats are uh, the latest we have as of 2018. So. This is fantastic. I can't wait to ask more questions, diving into why you think that is. What I want to talk about now, though, is this a predominance of sexually transmitted diseases. So as high school students are having less sex, one in four high school students have a sexually transmitted disease. So would that make up most all high school students who are sexually active have an STD? What? Yeah, well, what you what you have to do then, if if you do the math, if, if 50% aren't at risk at all, then 50% of the students who are sexually active are at risk. And if we have a one in four uh, high school students infected, then that basically means, you know, 50% of all sexually active students. So that would be one in two uh, of the sexually active part. And, and here here's where this is all coming from. You know, I spent years working in the pregnancy clinic and and I would have girls come into my clinic for a pregnancy test, teenage girls, and she I'd come in, I'd do the test, the test is negative, 
and she's not pregnant and she's ready to bolt out my door. And I'm like, wait a minute, sweetheart, have you been tested for syphilis, gonorrhea, herpes, chlamydia, trichinomas, bovidemia, arthritis, hepatitis B, hepatitis C, HPV, HIV? Have you been tested for this? And she's like, you know, me, I, I live in San Diego. You know, I don't live in Los Angeles. I, why would I need to be tested for that? And the reality is we have an entire segment of students whose main fear when it comes or the biggest risk they believe they have if they are sexually active is being pregnant. And I think because we have tailored culturally and and certainly on a, a federal and state level, we've tailored sex education around preventing teen pregnancy for the better part of three decades. And we've never really addressed the STD epidemic. So they're, they're worried about pregnancy, but they're not worried about getting an STD. And the reality is they have a far greater risk of contracting an STD than they ever have being, of being pregnant. And, and by the way, pregnancy is survivable. I mean, you can live through that. You know, these STDs have far greater consequences long term. And so, so the reality is we, we, just, we have to do a better job, obviously, of, of helping students understand the totality of the risks that they're taking, not just pregnancy. And, and then also not only what the STDs are, but what their long-term effects can be on their on their future. And isn't this fascinating, Pam, that it's a pregnancy that's considering the, considered the real disease, right? And not the right, actual yeah. sexually transmitted disease that can destroy your life. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's ridiculous. And, and here's the other problem. We've thrown massive amounts of young women on birth control. Uh, hormonal birth control, be it through the pill or through uh, the shot, Depo-Provera, or some of these new IUDs they're now using on young girls, which is just atrocious, with massive amount of uh, contraceptive hormones. So we're, we're throwing these girls and we're getting rid of her big fear, which shouldn't be. We're telling her body not to do what the body was intended to do, and, and that's produce a child via sex. That's the, not purpose and intent. And, and we're, and we're damaging her and making her more likely to become infected if and when she ever became in, came in contact with it. So so the reality is she's got about a 5 to 10% in well I shouldn't even say it that way. She's 5 to 10 times more likely to be infected with an STD if she comes in contact with it on hormonal birth control than if she wasn't taking uh, those drugs at all. Can you clear up why that is? Well, two reasons. Uh, I mean, there is a there is a behavior reason. In other words, I've, I've taken care of my worst fear, so now I'm not going, you know, I'm going to indiscriminately have sex with indiscriminate partners. <laughs> I mean, that's because <laughs> you've taken away their, their worst fear. But, but it's bigger than that. Hormonal contraception actually uh, changes the surface of the cervix, which is the primary ent- entry point of infection for a young female. It also changes the lining of her uh, vagina. So, so we physically made her source more susceptible to STDs, and 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 socially, as you say, we've made her uh, you know less caring about you know not worrying about that type of infection. Well, isn't it so interesting when you take sex out of marriage, babies out of sex, all these different things that begin to happen with the contraceptive lifestyle and now an actively gay lifestyle, whether it's the fact that, like you're saying, the surface of the cervix and the vagina are impacted by the contraception, making her more susceptible to STDs, but also this anal sexual engagement also leads you to be more more susceptible to STDs as well. Right. And oral as well. I mean, 
your mouth is one of the most infective organs of your body. So if I wanted to get uh, anything into your bloodstream and do it quickly, I have two ways of doing it. One is inserting a needle directly into your vein and giving it to you intravenously. The other way we we could do it is to put it under your tongue. It enters your bloodstream almost as 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 swiftly as as intravenously. So so oral sex is just as horribly infective, if not more so, than vaginal intercourse. So the the reality is all of these things have caused us to be more susceptible to infection and then the drugs that we're pumping into our system. And, you know, birth control is a level one carcinogen, according to the World Health Organization. Um, this is causing more infection and, and long-term problems for our girls. So, and the thing about it for me is if condoms were as effective as they the other side tries to claim they are, which they're not. But let's just pretend that they were upwards of 90% or 85% effective. And that's in, in preventing disease. It, it, it can't possibly be because they're only about 85% uh, effective in preventing pregnancy. How many people in the population can get pregnant? 50%, right? <laughs> right. Only girls, last I checked. So how many people can get an STD? 100%. Everyone. There's no, you know, it doesn't matter about gender. How many days out of a month can you get pregnant? Small really handful. about 72 hours. <laughs> right. About 72 hours, right? How many days out of the month can you get a sexually transmitted infection? Every single day, 365 days a year. So if we can't pre- prevent pregnancy with a piece of latex, which is far harder to accomplish in theory, how do they in the world that they think we're protecting anyone from infection with STD? Well, and even it's, the fact that they're assuming that high schoolers or even young adults for that matter know how to use a condom properly. Oh, and, and that's a whole other, a whole, we can throw so many wrenches into their, their, their thinking, but, but I, I'm convinced that they know that condoms are ineffective because if condoms were as effective as they tried to tout that they are, there's no reason for any girl, any woman to ever be on um, a hormonal contraceptive. Absolutely zero reason. Just use a condom. That is an excellent point. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That is Pam Stenzel. Pam, I want to dive into, so one in four high school students have a sexually transmitted disease. Can you dive yeah. into the different types of STDs and the difference between bacterial and viral? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, let's get this big number. The 22.5 million newly infected people every day in this country, 22.5 mil, and, and close to 57% of, uh, of those are 15 to 24-year-olds. So, and, and I'm going to tell you, it's primarily our college population, but certainly some high school students as well. So the, the, that's what close to 12 million new infections among that young adult age group. Um, so we have two major types of STD. Well, before I say that, in the, in the 1950s, we had five uh, sexually transmitted infections, major infections that we knew about were treating. Today, we have close to 30 and, and, and a full 25% of those, a fourth of those, are incurable. That means you get one of those STDs and you have it for life. There, there is no cure. So, so that means that our, our STDs fall in two major categories, bacterial and viral, or non-viral and viral. A bacteria, which is non-viral, is curable. There is medication that we can give and we can take care of that. A virus is not you get a virus, you've got it for life. There is no cure. We've never in the history of the world cured a virus. Now, now we can reduce the effects of that virus. We can suppress its, you know, its long-term impact, but we can't cure it, which is a completely different thing. 
So the most common STD among students today, well, HPV, human papillomavirus, is the most common STD in the world. There's no way around that. That's that's, uh, HPV uh, is genital warts, people are known as, and it is the number one causal agent of cervical cancer in women. Um, And it's highly contagious. You can contract it by near skin contact. And that's why condoms can't protect from HPV because any skin contact in the genital area can transmit that infection. And the condom doesn't cover the sex organ I have, by the way, and it doesn't cover the entire genitalia of a male. So, so the reality is there's no way that that can be protected. So the, but the other STD that's so common among our teenagers and partly because it's really easy and cheap to test for, so we're doing a lot more screening uh, than, than some of the other ST, STI infections, is chlamydia. Now, chlamydia is a bacteria. Again, we can cure it. If we knew a girl had it, we could get her on an antibiotic, and it's pretty effective, typically two doses in seven days, and, and, and we can clear that infection. The problem is uh, with chlamydia infections, the first problem is there are, are no symptoms. And this is a big issue with young with teenagers, especially in college students, because if, if they're sexually active, they think if they don't feel sick, they're not sick. They actually think they would know if they had an STD. They believe that, you know, they'd wake up and, and it would be tattooed to their forehead or something. I'm not sure what they think, but or that something would burn or, you know, they would know. But there's, there's no way. It's a silent infection. So the only way they would know is if they got tested. And most, most of these young people aren't getting tested because they don't think it's going to happen to them. And they don't feel sick, they're not sick, and all those reasons. So one of the things that we stress, or I stress to teenagers heavily, is that you, if you've been sexually active, you must be tested. You've got to be tested. And uh, here in my clinic in Gainesville, I'm sitting across from the, uh, across the street here from the University of Florida campus in, in Gainesville, Florida. Um, we do free STI testing of chlamydia and gonorrhea because these students have to be screened. We have the second highest STI rate in the state of Florida right here in Gainesville. So uh, if the, the, the big long-term effect of chlamydia is primarily on our girls. For boys, it's kind of annoying, but it's not, it's not going to long-term damage them. But for a, for a young woman, if she contracts chlamydia one time in her lifetime, cured or not, there is a 20% chance she could be sterile for the rest of her life. She deve- could develop pelvic inflammatory disease. If she gets this infection twice, that jumps to almost 40%. If she gets it three times, there's a pretty good chance this girl could never have children. We literally have hundreds of thousands of young women getting into their late 20s, maybe early 30s, getting married and saying, well, you know, I'm married now. Now I would like to be a mom. They try. They can't get pregnant. They go running to a physician. He checks and says, my goodness, sweetheart, you've got all this scar tissue in your fallopian tubes, your ovaries. You have pelvic inflammatory disease. You had chlamydia. Wow. And she's like, you know what? I had what? I didn't even know. And it's it, it, it's so sad because so many of these young people are not even going to realize the long term impact of the choices they're making until they're they're long after you know they're in their twenties. You know what I mean? And it's just it's just devastating. Pam, it's heartbreaking. You look at this, and this is the untold story of the infertility crisis of 2019. Oh, absolutely, hundred percent. And you know, my daughter, my daughter's a little bit older. She's 33, but we were just talking. She just had her second child, and and we were talking about so many of her friends that that she went to to college with, and you know, they're like they're all struggling with this fertility. You know, so many. It, it's just, 
And we know it to be true statistically. We've had a 400% increase of infertility in women in the last uh, about 15 years. So uh, this is just a devastating crisis. And, and, and the time to be thinking about it is not at 30. It, it's at 15. You need to fully understand what are the uh, long-term consequences of the choices that you're making. Absolutely. Well, and can you talk a little bit more about how I believe it's chlamydia has actually become antibiotic resistant? Yeah, actually, it's gonorrhea that we're seeing. Okay. Gonorrhea has been around a little longer. Gonorrhea is also a bacteria infection, very similar to chlamydia. But because of the, the, the amount of years now we've been battling gonorrhea, that's one of the ones we were battling in the 50s and 60s, by the way. But, but we're, we're battling, you know, this now in greater numbers that we're seeing strains of, uh, that are being uh, resistant to, to the antibiotics that we're using. So they're starting to call them the superbug, and the CDC is really getting concerned about the fact that, that some of these strains are, are being completely resistant to, to the antibiotics that, that we're able to give it. And, and so, that, I mean, and that's another problem that you have is that, that if, if the antibiotics that we've been using no longer work, you know, we're, we're in serious trouble. The other thing that, that is so important for young women to know, and, and one of the things we talk about in our pregnancy clinics, too, is if I have a young girl who comes in and she's pregnant and she's considering having an abortion, um, we make sure she's chlamydia tested and, and gonorrhea, both infections, because if she decides to go to the abortion clinic and have a surgical abortion and... They they're not they don't care they could care mm-hmm. less whether she's infected so they're going to do the abortion because they're going you know they get paid to do it but if she actually has a surgical abortion with an active chlamydia or gonorrhea infection and and a, an abortionist inserts that instrument through her cervix oh. they've now taken an infection and spread it up into her uh, up into her uterus and in her, into her tubes and and it makes it so far worse and. Now pelvic inflammatory disease is almost a given, future infertility, and future ectopic pregnancies. We scarred her tube. It's heartbreaking. Heaven forbid the next time she gets pregnant, it could be a tubal, which could, you know, could be fatal. Certainly fatal to the baby. That's Pam Stenzel. You're listening to Trending with Tim Rate. Pam, you know, people talk all the time about this argument for reproductive health care and how abortion is a basic health care and so is contraception. Yet the reality is, is that what they're advocating for is actually contributing, as you're saying, to this infertility crisis that is breaking women's yeah. hearts down the road. Yeah, I mean, if they cared about women's health, the very least they would do is make sure she doesn't have an active infection before they go in and, per- and do this procedure. But they, they have no interest in that. They won't do it. And so it, it, it's just they prove over and over again how unconcerned they are about women's health and how pro-abortion they are, and that's it. And the reality is if they did a pelvic exam prior to the abortion, which is actually basic standard protocol prior to an abortion, the UN yep. documents talk about this, then they would be meeting basic health standards, and that woman's reproductive tract would not be further damaged by the STD. Hundred percent, absolutely. So, and, pa- and go ahead. Sorry. Well, and and the laws are getting worse. Do you know what I mean? They're bad enough as they stand, and then some of these new laws, which are horrific, coming out of New York and uh, some Illinois and some of these other states, are are now not only required a basic standard of care, but don't even require a physician to perform the procedure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it's, it's it's horrendous. Pam, can you tell us a story? I remember hearing a story about a young man who tried to date your daughter at one point. You found out, I believe, by one of the school coaches. Yeah, well, 
So we're going back some years since I already told you my daughter's age now. But the, the reality is this, and, and this is why I say to parents, you need to be involved. You need to be talking to your kids about sex. You need to be having boundaries and, and rules. So I was the mean mom. I Hopefully some of your listeners can relate. And um, my kids were not allowed to date at all until uh, they were at least 16. And then they had there were some other boundaries around dating prior to leaving high school. So I had some pretty, and I won't get into all of those, but, but my daughter went from a private school, uh, a private Lutheran actually school through eighth grade into a public school. So we had no options at that time in Minnesota. So she was a freshman in high school. I showed up at her volleyball game and the teachers knew who I was. I can't hide very well. And they said, um, Pam, you're not going to believe this, that one of the worst kids in our school, and it's a small school, we lived in a very small town, um, is is after your daughter. And I'm like, seriously? And I said, is he here? Because it was my daughter's like ninth grade volleyball game. Uh, and he goes, yeah, he and his friends are sitting up there in the bleachers. And I'm like, oh, I'm having a discussion. I walked up those bleachers. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't yet learned as a parent of a high school student that parents weren't supposed to directly speak to other students that didn't bother me. And I found this boy. I said, Isaiah. I said, do you know who I am? He said, you're Kara's mom. Not I the said, sex lady. <laughs> yeah, Kara's mom. I said, uh, how old are you? He said, I'm 18. I said, I said Isaiah, do you know what the statutory rape laws are in this state? Because I do. And I am personal friends with the prosecuting attorney in this county. And you so much as look at my daughter sideways and your talent will be in jail so fast your head will be spinning. Like, have I made myself clear? He's like, can I talk to her? I said, I would prefer you did not. And I will know. <laughs> and, and then I looked at all the other boys sitting with him like that goes for the whole rest of you. <laughs> and of course, you know, my daughter, we got home bawling and I'd ruined her life. And how could she ever show her face in public ever again? And, 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 you know, she got over it. Um, but, but I got to tell you that later that year, so it would have been towards the spring, it would have been his senior year, my daughter's freshman year, that same boy got an eighth grade girl pregnant. Oh. Gosh. And the only thing I kept saying, I reminded my daughter of this again, and I said, where was her mother? What, what, what made any of us think as parents that we could just allow our kids and, and not have that kind of oversight? And I, parenting a teenager is not a popularity contest. You don't have to like me. My kids will have a lot of friends. They will have one mother. And, and, and that's my job is to be the parent and to set those boundaries and to be clear about what they are. What is your message, Pam, to parents or even people who are nervous about talking to friends who feel ill-equipped and uncomfortable? Well, number one, parents, okay, get comfortable with the, with the discussion. And one of the reasons that when I speak to Maria across the, the country, when I, when, it's, when, I, when I can have parents with me, I prefer it. I prefer the parents to be with their students during my talk because that way you're both on the same page. We've opened this topic up and you have so much to talk about later. So, so if you can't get me there live and I'll be in Fontana, California live on September 20th, you're all welcome to come. But, um, but if you can't do it live, get the DVD, watch it together. Um, you know, and, and so we've opened up the conversation. And here's the other thing. Typically, when parents are a little afraid to talk about it, a lot of times it becomes personal. It's like, well, what if I, you know, regret choices I made? What if they ask me? Here's the thing. Always be honest 
but you do not have to give details. Don't sit there and give, I did this with who, no. Just say, I made some decisions I regret. There's a price I'm paid, and I really hope that you would make better choices. That is enough said. Amen to that. You can find Pam's work at enlightencom.com. That's enlightencom.com. And you can find links as well at radiotrending.com to some of her videos. But parents, man, they are so nervous to dive in, to tackle this issue sometimes. There's a lot of insecurity, maybe even because they hadn't been talked to properly about sexual intimacy. Or like you said, there might be some wounds or misbehavior in the past. But ultimately, at the end of the day, especially as Catholics, parents are the primary have the primary role of educating their children. So we really want to call people into that. You can find Pam Stenzel and her work again at enlightencom.com. She's traveling all over the country. So please head over to her website because you can also find where she will be speaking next. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I have Pam Stenzel with me. She's the founder of Enlightened Communication. She travels around the country and around the world, speaking to over 500,000 young people each year about sexual integrity, sexually transmitted diseases, and abstinence. Many people who are involved in the pro-life work dedicate much of their time because they themselves have had a personal story that touches on these issues. Pam, you yourself have a quite incredible witness to give. Yeah, you know, I started working in pregnancy centers in, in, in college, really as a volunteer, and that was way back in the 80s. But, but I, I was pressed and moved to do that primarily because, well, 54 years ago now, a young 15-year-old girl became pregnant and had all kinds of difficult choices to make, um, maybe more than some teenage girls, because she was raped. But this teenage girl chose to give her child life and then to place that child with an adoptive family, and that child was me. My biological father is a rapist. I don't even know my ethnicity, but I am still a human being, and I still have value, and my life isn't worth less than everyone else's just because of the, the way I was conceived. And, and you know, I've listened to the rhetoric, Timory, my whole entire life, Listen to people say, well, every child should be wanted and planned. And I've heard this said in our church, which just breaks my heart. Well, well I wouldn't have an abortion. That's terrible. But if it were rape, but, well, you're a mistake, Pam. I don't believe that. I believe that every child is wanted by someone. And I believe that God in his mercy had a plan for me. And, and you know, I, without trying to, I mean, I can't explain it to you. And, and you know, I, I was every Bible professor's worst nightmare in college back in the days. But, you know, if you want to talk about the sovereignty of God and free will of man, and did God plan me? Uh, I, I memorized a verse when I was little that said, I knew you before the foundations of the world. I formed you in your mother's womb. I mean, did that mean me or did that just mean you? And, and I don't have all the answers, but but here's what I know. I know that my God is so awesome and so amazing that he's capable of taking your worst pain, whether it was something you chose or whether it was something that was done to you. And my God can make something very beautiful come from that. That's amazing grace. That's redemption. So I've not met my birth mom. I, I, someday I hope to. I, I've been praying for her since I was four years old, so if not here in, in heaven someday. I did find out um, as a teenager, uh, 
more details about the circumstances of my conception and certainly of my, my birth mother's situation. I found out from my caseworker that my, my birth mother had not only been raped, but she she was in foster care at the time, which if you can just imagine oh. a 15-year-old foster care child who becomes pregnant because of rape. I mean, if I had been born in 1975 instead of 1965, I'd have been killed by the state. There's There's no question. And so I am so grateful uh, for, first of all, the pro-life people of the state of Michigan who probably saved my life on that end, but, but also to this 15-year-old girl who, who went through all of that to give me my life and to give me my family. I'm the oldest of eight kids, seven of us adopted, every color of the rainbow in my family. We're the United Nations by ourselves, an amazing family. And um, that was a gift from this 15-year-old girl. That was her sacrifice. She bore all the pain. Um, she's my hero. I mean, such amazing, brave love that would have a, a woman go through all of that pain in order to give life and a future and hope and a family to, to her child. That's real, real love. And so I have really believed, and I believe going into college when I first started wanting to reach out to women, I believe that there was someone there for my, my birth mother. Like what my birth mother needed in that huge crisis was not someone to violently rip her child from her womb and violate her further. She's already been violated. We don't meet violence with more violence. Um, what my birth mother needed was someone to love her, someone to walk alongside her, for someone to say, we're going to stand with you. We're going we're gonna to help you get through this and be there for you. And, that, and, and I just really felt like if I could do that for women in crisis, then that would be fulfilling that need. And, and, and just in my heart, a prayer that somebody would have been there for my own birth mother. And so for all of these years now, 30 plus years, I've had the privilege of walking alongside young women experiencing a crisis pregnancy, whether it was a decision that they made themselves or whether it was rape or, or sexual assault or sexual abuse, that we've been able to be there and walk through this situation with with her and bring her hope and not further damage her. And, that, and that's, that's, that's been just the, uh, the privilege of my life. And, and I, I just know that what these women need is love. They don't need to be further violated. That's incredible. You're listening to Pam Stenzel's testimony. You're listening to Trending with Timory as well. You know, Pam, I imagine what, I mean, what an incredible testament. Who would have thought the worst of the worst, that experience, your mother at 15. And yeah, I think about all the people. I mean, I just look at the numbers, 500,000 young people each year that you have the opportunity to share your story with. But that doesn't even count the number of women who I know you've walked side by side with as they've gone through a crisis pregnancy or they themselves have been raped and are considering an abortion. Yeah, you know, Timory, one day, and it was probably about four or five years ago, I got an email in to my, to, to my website, you know, to, a girl contacted me. She's a 14-year-old girl. She was in Dubai, of all places. Somehow she was at a, like, an international school of some kind. Like, so her, her parents were, I think they were Italian, but she was from, uh, they were like, what do you call it, like ambassadors or something. They were in the government there in Dubai and she was at this uh, a private uh, independent school and she was raped on the way home from school mm. and scared to death but she had seen my video for some reason in her classroom in Dubai 
And she said, I'm going to reach out to this Pam Stenzel. And it, it was a little bit of a panic. It took me 72 hours and helped, with, thankfully, to the Human Life International and some other pro-life organizations internationally. I was able to get her in touch with the only Catholic church in that city, which happened to be on her way home, like within walking distance. Wow. And I, it was St. Mary's Church, and I was able to get a hold of that priest, and we got that girl help. And I got to tell you, she was afraid to tell her parents, but obviously the priest helped her do that. And uh, she, and as far as I know, um, she placed her child uh, with a family in Italy that was waiting for a baby. And all of that because she just reached out online to me after seeing my video in her school. And, and you know, it's, it's one of these, I, that's why I always tell kids wherever I speak, if I could find help for a, a scared young woman in Dubai, I can find help for you <laughs> wherever you are. We will find help for you. That's incredible. And you know, what reminds me of that story at the same time, not every child's going to hear you speak and the gift of being able to hear you speak, you're filling ultimately in many cases, the role that many parents are kind of vetoing to give to you to raise their children in. But I remember just actually this summer, a young boy came up to me he was a teenager and he was hearing my pro-life talk and he said, you know, my parents always taught me, you know, about chastity, about the faith. I know Better. But I remember my parents always told me that if I were to ever get someone pregnant, that I should know that my parents are willing to take care of that child and that abortion is never a necessary option in our family. And, you know, that's you're so good. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, it's so good. And that and that's why we we can say to our kids, you know what? Here's the deal, because there are so many other options, by the way, there are we got one point five million couples waiting to adopt right now in the U.S. alone. Uh, the average adoption of infants is now seven to nine years because we have no infants available. So I always say to people, you know, you know, I mean, adoption is an option. It's a loving option. Yes, there's pain and grief for the birth pa- parents, but it's an option. And to tell your kids, whatever crisis you're in, we'll walk you through that. Mm-hmm. Do you yeah. know what I mean? I, I'd prefer you not have to make that decision. <laughs> That's why I'm telling you not to have sex. That would be your best choice. But, but if you or any of your friends, and I've said this to my kids too, any of your friends were to find themselves pregnant, they didn't intend to be, get help. Know where help is. I challenge every group of teenagers I speak to know where the the life affirming pregnancy care center or clinic is in your town. Not because you, you might not need them, but someone you care about or know might need them. Or have and you're op- our voice. Yeah. Or have the op- options United number or have some cards, exactly you know, right. in your wallet, whatever it is. I think teenagers have been doing incredible work. And, you know, you even hear the stories after yeah. the movie Unplanned and how they're now uh, teenagers, uh, stories of them speaking up when they've heard a friend in high school who's pregnant. They jump in right away because they're inspired by these stories. Exactly right. And you know what? They can reach out in love and say, you know, I know you're scared. I know you might not know what to do. I know where help is. Let's at least start here. Let's at least get a pregnancy test, an ultrasound. Let's at least, you know, have someone talk to you about your options and you can get that young woman to a pregnancy center. It's 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 amazing. And and I told people, I have literally held children in my arms that I have saved from the death camps of this nation by merely walking alongside their mother and saying, I can help you. That's all it took. And every one of us can do that when, when we find out there's a young woman in crisis. Reach out and tell her you'll help her. You'll stand with her. 
And that's the biggest difference for so many women. And they say that if my boyfriend just smiled when they, when I said it, I was pregnant. If people almost just celebrated, even if the circumstances weren't so terrible, if there was some sort of positive yeah. response or outreach, I would have my child today. Yeah, absolutely. hundred percent. And we have to always remember that somebody needs to say, you know what? I recognize there's a little bit of concern here, but you can do this. We believe in you. You're strong enough and we'll be there for you. One of the points that really stood out in your testimony as well, Pam, given that your birth mother was 15 years old and in the foster care system. And like you said, it was prior to Roe versus Wade in 1973. Today, Planned Parenthood covers up these cases of rape and incest of foster children. Absolutely. And incest of people's own biological children or trafficked children. And when you just have an abortion, that crime is allowed to be covered up. And so you're only helping. You're not helping the, the, the victim. You're not helping the baby. You're killing the baby. You're further violating the, the victim. You're only helping the rapist or the abuser or the trafficker. We'll be right back with Pam Stenzel. We're going to be talking about some sexual education programs and some of the challenges even here in the state of California, which are coming to other states as well if you don't already have them. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Pam Stenzel of Enlightened Communications is with me again. She travels to over to speak to over 500,000 students each year, both here in the United States and worldwide. And she does great work with the crisis pregnancy centers there in Florida. Right now, I want to talk a little bit about your perspective, Pam, on what's at risk with these overly sexualized sex ed programs. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. We've had better part of 30 to 40 years of comprehensive sex education. And and all we've gotten is is far more problems at the end of the day. We have, I mean, anybody can look at the situation, our STI infection rate, nothing has been helped. And yet the government powers that be continue to try and push this comprehensive sex education uh, down our throats. But recently, especially in the state of California, and there are a few other states that are following suit, they've introduced sex education curriculum that is beyond that. It is literally the sexualization of young children. And in the, the California Healthy Youth Act, um, AB 329. It's abhorrent. It is literally teaching transgenderism and and all of those topics to children as young as kindergarten, kindergartens through 12th grade. And then there, in some of it, if parents would take a look at that curriculum specifically, it, it, you, you'll be in shock. You won't even believe it's true. You, you're probably going to think I'm making it up right now. But but they're they're literally they literally have like condom games that they have. 10, 11-year-old students playing and, and, and passing out condoms at 10 and 11 years old. I mean, it, it is abhorrent. And in the, the most recent act that they, they passed, they were not allowing parents to opt their children out. So it, it's probably some of the most far-reaching liberal uh, sex ed we've seen any in any state. And it's been uh, enacted in California this spring. So um, for any of you who are listening in California and you have children and you care, there's a wonderful place for you to go to kind of get more information and get involved. It's called informedparents.org, informedparents.org. And I would really in- encourage California parents to, to take a look at that. 
Thank you so much for speaking to that because a lot of parents don't even know today that they can't even opt out of the sexual education programs in California. There's no option to opt out. Right. And and that and the new what I call this new sex ed it, they they used to really concentrate or argue with us about science and and it being medically accurate and and all of these things and and they would claim that they were medically accurate they've even they don't even play that anymore they don't even try that anymore they have gone so far into political and social activism when it comes to uh transgender lgbtq and all of the letters that go <laughs> after it to the to the point that it doesn't even make there's no science involved it is all social science experiment, and it's, and it's being foisted upon your kindergartners. This is atrocious. You know, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. That's Pam Stenzel. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. I recently learned uh, there was a group of parents from Murrieta, California, that are specifically going to war over this rampant sexualization of children through sex ed. And they were talking about how a presentation done for the Riverside County educators was given by a group called Cardia Services. And they were pushing this rampant sexualization, transgenderism, all those elements and what was interesting to me is they actually said, well, what does Cardia mean? And apparently Cardia was either a Greek, but I think it was a Roman goddess. And this goddess had to do with reclaiming sacred spaces. And I thought it was so interesting because for years, Cardia Services has been looking at the sex ed programs in the school system as their sacred place to teach this rampant sexualization. Uh, absolutely. And they know they they know that if they can indoctrinate an entire generation that, you know, the change is a, is a decade to two decades down the road. And, and we're already seeing evidence of the indoctrination that they began two decades ago. But it's just I mean, it, it's crazy. And and it's it's always been the sex education programs that you'll follow the comprehensive sex ed and then these programs kind of get California. Their biggest deal is to separate parents from their kids and to separate that to make sure parents aren't the ones who are educating. And, you know, the sad thing is that if you look at what teens want, if you ask teens themselves, who do you want to hear from on these issues? The vast majority of them say they want to hear from their parents. That who those are the one, people who have um, the most influence, and yet this curriculum is purposely pitting parents against students. There's a study someone was telling me about the other day, and they were talking about how they brought a group of parents in, and they asked the parents the question, "Would um, do you think that your child would rather a hundred bucks or more time with you? And most of the parents ended up saying a hundred bucks. And so they brought in uh, the kids and specifically a number of the kids, but specifically one parent was shocked because it was their kid and they didn't have the best relationship with the kid and their kid who, again, they had an uh, animosity in that relationship. The kid still said that she would rather have more time with the parent. See, Absolutely. And that's because we have allowed the media and culture via the media, and and I would include social media on that, to dictate to us what we believe about our kids. And it's it's just completely untrue. So parents, engage. And obviously, I don't care where you live, California or otherwise, if if you're a parent of a child of any age, it used to be we always worried about parents of middle and high school students. If you have a kindergartner, you need to know what's being done in your school system. You need to ask the questions. You need to ask to see curriculum. 
Don't just take their word for it. Look at it. Read it. Get involved. Find out if you can be in the classroom and observe. Know what's being taught to your kids. You just have to be involved. Or take your kids out. That's the other thing. That might be easier (laughs) at this point. Just yank your kids out of the government school. Well, and I know some parents, especially here in California, I have been saying this for years. I was homeschooled. I can attest to it. But a lot of parents are saying that they do not see how public school is an option today, at least in our state. Right. And, you know, and I would say this, and this would not be just California, but this is all states and everybody listening as Catholic parents is you need to keep that kind of observation on your Catholic schools as well, because Mm -hmm. sadly, it's very frustrating, but a lot of our Catholic schools are going the way of the public system. Absolutely. You could say that again, and this is where parents think that they're getting their faith there at the Catholic schools. But Pam, can you speak to this primary role of parents as educators and instilling that value and character formation? Yeah, you know, and I've said this at Religious Ed Congress. I've said this in in a lot of other occasions when we talk to parents. The the primary job of passing faith and values on to your children is not the churches. It's not the priests. It's not the youth ministers, the RE directors. The primary job is the parents. The buck stops with you. Deuteronomy says to us as parents, that we are to be talking about our faith and our values to our children when they get up in the morning, when they walk in the way, and when they go to bed at night. And I would interpret that as all day long. That's my job. I used to tell parents and teenagers, if your teenager hasn't recently rolled their eyes at you and given you that, ah, you know, look, <laughs> you've told me a million times, you're not doing your job. That was my paycheck. Roll your eyes and say it again, because here comes a million and one, because I am going to be the one who's going to say this over and over and over and over again until you get it. And I, I used to tease, I said, I want my kids that when they're either when they leave for college or, or when they're with their friends at a movie or hanging out and I'm not there and they're watching a movie or listening to music or participating in activity, I want the Holy Spirit with the voice of their mother (laughs) to be going, what would Jesus say about that? (laughs) What's true about what's in front of you right now? My kids used to always say, do you have to be the running commentary on every?" Yes, I do. (laughs) We're going to unpack this thing. My daughter back in the day, she was probably even middle school, we went to see the Titanic, the movie The Titanic, and I and I know parents are like, oh my gosh, you're really old. They may not even remember this. But anyway, I remember sitting down with my daughter and a few of her friends after that and saying, well, it's a good thing that boy died. Because if he hadn't, <laughs> that relationship would have been ended the minute they hit shore. <laughs> and, and I remember these little junior high girls like, you're ruining the romance. Like, There's no romance here. This is not, I mean, this was total Hollywood ridiculousness. You know what I mean? So forcing your kids to think about what's being thrown at them instead of just, you know, taking it in. You know, this passiveness that we need to get past, not just kids, but adults. We are so influenced by the media that we consume. But you know what, Pam, I would love before we go here to get your comments. Why do you think it is that the majority of high school seniors are virgin state? 57 percent. What are your takeaways on that? (laughs) Here's what I believe has happened. I believe that. Our culture has gotten so over-sexualized, you know what I mean, we, that we've thrown so much at them that there's a good portion of students that are saying absolutely not worth the risk on any level, emotionally or otherwise. But here's the thing I'm going to tell you about this generation of kids, and it's probably been true for about the last, I would say, eight years. When I was a teenager, there were kids who didn't have sex, but they did it because either, 
you know, nobody asked or the pressure wasn't very strong or whatever. What we have now is a group of kids who are firmly making a decision to not have sex. It's, it's a decision. They know why and they can tell you why. And then you've got the other half of the kids who are having sex and they're having a lot of sex with multiple partners completely indiscriminately. So there is no gray area anymore. And so parents, pay attention to that. Your kid is either going to have a solid conviction about what he will and will not do, or else they're going to be probably mired in the mess. The average number of sexual partners now for people under 30 is about 27.2. Wow. That's why we have to have a solid decision. You know what I mean? Like a right. virtue, not, not just, oh, I hope it doesn't happen. And we need to fight to instill this as they go into college so that that firm conviction isn't lost. You can find Pam Stenzel and her work at enlightencom.com. So that's enlightencommunications.com and abbreviated to C-O-M. There will be links at radiotrending.com to her and her work. Go check out her videos. Thanks so much for being with us, Pam. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 